Welcome to the Hoffmantown Church Podcast. We hope you enjoyed this week's message from Hoffmantown Church. I love thinking through the different events, the things that took place as the Lord himself went with joy to the cross so that we might have life, not just any kind of life, but eternal life when we believe, when we receive from him what he has done on our behalf. And truly, the fact of the matter is, is what he's done for us, the provision that he's given to us in Christ at the cross and the salvation that he provides for us, to us, if we believe in him. I think that when we come to the end of it, it's very clear that he is worthy of our lives. And Paul and Silas, I think, would absolutely agree that. They lived it. We're going to look at a passage this morning and just talk about uh, Paul and Silas in prison, having a worship service. Let me ask you something. What, What difficult circumstance have you been in lately? And has it turned into a worship service? We tend to think of worship services as just on Sunday morning, don't we? We, we come and, and we worship. I hope we worship. Maybe, maybe not. Maybe we come and we like the music and so we feel stirred. We feel emotionally uh, attached. Maybe we don't like the preaching so much or we don't like the specific selection of songs or something happens and, and so it throws us off a little bit. And, and so all of a sudden we find ourselves in a bit of an emotional dilemma because when we say worship, we tend to tie worship together with emotion. And folks, worship goes way deeper than emotion. Worship is not just on Sunday mornings, it's every day of our lives. Worship is when we come before the Lord and we bow low before him in every area, every circumstance, every moment, because we recognize the truth that Jesus is the Christ, that he is Lord of all. And so in the midst of our lives, no matter what happens, no matter what the circumstances may be, our lives are yielded to him. And as a result, worship takes place, and there's a worship service that others get to watch. And they begin to be impacted by the fact that God lives in us. And the things that we're doing, the things that we're saying, the attitudes and the activities of our lives are from Him. And we give glory to God as a result. Folks, Paul and Silas are in a terrible predicament. They've been falsely accused. They've been thrown into prison. They've been beaten, not even cared for, put into stocks, right? We're not just talking about being fastened and made sure that they can move around, but literally stretched out into stocks. They're in pain. They're miserable from a physical standpoint. And yet, in the midst of their lives, what are they doing? They're worshiping. God. No wonder the prisoners listening when the doors were thrown open and the chains came off didn't go anywhere because <laughs> they saw something, they heard something they knew was not humanly possible. They had an authentic confrontation with God himself through Paul and Silas. Look at Acts chapter 16. We're going to look at the first five verses of this story, really verses 25 through 30. 
And I want to share with you this because I think this is so important for, for all of us to be reminded of on a consistent basis. The Lord is always working through the circumstances and lives of his servants. That's us. If we're believers, we're his servants. He's always working through our circumstances and our lives in order to reveal himself to the lost. To those people who have no hope, they do not have God in this world. They're doing everything they can to strive for goodness. They have a system that they want to try to measure up to, and they're failing at it. God is always working in the midst of our circumstances and through our lives in order to reveal himself to those people around us that are desperate for authenticity, for transparency, for the truth of the revelation of the Lord Jesus Christ. The question is, are we walking in such a way that God is revealing himself through us? Is God being seen through us? Are our lives truly a worship service? Are our lives a song of praise to the Lord? A song of praise. We're grumbling, we're whining, we're complaining. We're always trying to fix it. Trying to get out of whatever circumstance takes place that doesn't fit our Mindset. Or are we saying, yes, Lord. Praise the Lord. Thank the Lord. Lord, you're the Lord. (laughs) And so in the midst of it, we get to experience God ourselves, but also through us, he is revealed. Three things this morning as we look at this. First of all, there's determined worship. This is so cool. I can't make this up. When I started looking at this, well, I'll get to it. I'll get to it. I better keep on, keeping on, keeping on. Determined worship, (laughs) divine intervention, God intervenes, I love it, and there's a desperate cry, desperate cry, the jailer recognizes that there's something different here, so there's a desperate cry. First of all, he says, but about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns of praise to God, and the prisoners were listening to them. Well, they didn't have Wi-Fi, so they didn't have Bose headphones. They certainly didn't have cable TV or satellite TV to distract them. They had nothing. Paul and Silas became their entertainment for the evening. (laughs) And Paul and Silas, it says, are praying and they're singing hymns. Singing hymns. Praying means to offer requests, to be thankful to God, to praise God. The word that's used for prayer here is the all-encompassing word. It's not just that they were saying, Lord, get us out of here. Lord, we're miserable. Lord, we're tied up. Lord, we're hurting. Lord, heal us because we're absolutely miserable and we're suffering. That's how we tend to pray, right? Something goes wrong. Lord, please get this. Oh, Lord, if you would just fix this circumstance, we'd really be thankful for it. We could really worship you even better if you would get us out of this circumstance. That's how we tend to pray. The word prayer here is the all-encompassing words. It, It means to be praising God. It means to be giving glory to God. It doesn't just mean to be requesting to get out of the circumstance. Contextually, it's very clear that that wasn't necessarily what they were saying. I'm sure Silas being the follower, Paul being the leader, Silas probably said, and Lord, if you want to get us out of here, that'd be good too. (laughs) I mean, I would have. 
But in the midst of it, they're praising the Lord. They're thanking God for what he's doing. Singing hymns means to sing a hymn with the meaning of a song of praise or honor to God. Now, now think with me on this. Here they are in the midst of prison. They've been unfairly treated. They are Roman citizens. They are not supposed to be beaten without a trial. They're not supposed to be punished without a trial. They've completely gotten swept into something that they had nothing to do with. And legally, by law, they shouldn't be there. This should not have happened to them. And what are they doing? Oh, Lord, those Roman magistrates, when we get out of here, I'm going to get them. We're going to get them, Lord. We got them now. Because that's going to happen to them. Because when they find out that we're Roman citizens and and they did this without permission, without a trial, oh, we're going to get them. No. They recognize God's sovereignty. They recognize the Lord's in authority. They recognize God's in control. And they're praying. They're praising him. They're thanking him. And they're singing hymns of honor and glory to God. Wow. Now, I know that I'm a bit of a word geek. And I appreciate that. Some of you have pointed that out, and I, I appreciate that as well. <laughs> so if you do, <laughs> you can check me on this, okay? If you go and check the word hymn and look at how many times in the New Testament the word hymn is used, it's not used very often. What's interesting about this word hymn and particularly this particular week that we're celebrating Palm Sunday and a whole week that the Lord looks to going to the cross where he has the Last Supper, where they uh, pray, where they go to the Garden of Gethsemane, where he's arrested, where in John he talks about uh, when Judas comes to him in order to uh, betray him and the Roman cohort comes and they say, you know, who is Jesus? Are you Jesus? And he says, I am. And they all fall backwards. And then he goes before Caiaphas and he, he's placed before Herod and he's placed before Pilate and he's scourged and he's mocked and he's treated brutally and he ends up on the cross and he cries out, forgive them for they know not what they do. In this week, where we reflect on all these things and end up at the resurrection, that glorious morning where the stone has been rolled away and they come running to see where is the body of Christ and there, he's not there. In this week, the word hymn is used. The very last part of the Last Supper in Matthew chapter 26, verse 30. And he says, after singing a hymn, cross that out, cross that out, cross that out. It's after singing hymns, plural, they went out to the Mount of Olives. Let me ask you something. Do we know what hymns they were singing? Hmm. What time of year is it? It's Passover. Do you realize that there are certain psalms that they would have been singing because that's what they did at Passover. That's what they did to praise the Lord. Do you realize that Paul and Silas in prison were probably singing some of the Paschal Psalms, some of the very same Psalms that the Lord and the disciples sang before the Lord went to the Garden of Gethsemane and before the Lord went through all the events leading to his death on the cross and his resurrection. So I got to show you some of these because it's pretty cool. Psalms 113 through 118. 
For those of you who just about fainted, no, we're not going to read through every one of them. It's okay. Psalms 113 through 118 are the psalms that traditionally were sung at Passover. That in all probability, the Lord and the disciples were singing. In all probability, Paul and Silas were singing. They reflect on two things, these psalms do. And this is general. First of all, God's supremacy. God's supremacy over the nations, over all the false idols, all the other gods, all the nations, the Gentiles. And also his saving power, his saving power. They reflect on how God rescued them out of Egypt. They reflect on how God is a God who is able to save. Let's take a quick walk through this, okay? Look back at Psalm 113, verses 3 through 4. I'm just going to give you a snippet of of each of the Psalms. Psalms 113, verses 3 through 4. He says, From the rising of the sun to its setting, the name of the Lord is to be praised. The Lord is high above all nations. His glory is above the heavens. Now think with me on this. Here's Paul and Silas. We don't know absolutely 100% sure, but the context seems to fit that these are the psalms that they very well may have been singing and praising God with. Who's listening? It's the prisoners, some of whom have been condemned to death. And we know that because when the gates, when the doors are open and the chains fall off, what does the jailer go to do? He goes to kill himself. Why? Because if prisoners who have been condemned to death escape, then that punishment that was for the prisoner will be for the jailer. Some of these men listening have been condemned to death. And Paul begins to praise. Silas begins to praise. The Lord is high above all the nations. In Psalm chapter 114, we have the deliverance of Israel from Egypt, where he goes through a lot of the whole situation about God being above nature, including the sea, the Red Sea, and the Jordan River, and how it was parted. In verse 7, tremble, O earth, before the Lord, before the God of Jacob who turned the rock into a pool of water, the flint into a fountain of water. Now, folks, Paul and Silas in prison, what happens? An earthquake hits, right? Can you see the correlation here? The prisoners are listening to this. Tremble, O earth, before the Lord. In Psalm 115, where he contrasts the Lord versus idols, idols that have been made by human hands, idols that can't speak, that can't hear, that can't see. In Psalm 115, verse 4, he says, Their idols are silver and gold, the work of man's hand. Not a living God. Not a God who is able to save. Who are these prisoners. They are Gentiles who worship false idols. They are Gentiles who have grown up in an environment in Philippi, in Greece, that worship gods, that walk in fear, that don't know what their future holds because there's nothing for them. There's no certainty. There's no assurance. There's no love. 
And Paul and Silas, in all probability, are declaring the greatness of God through these psalms. And they're saying, God is the one who sees. And God is the one who hears. God is the one who knows. God is sovereign. Our God, we praise. In Psalm 116, verses 1 through 2, he says, I love the Lord because he hears my voice and my supplications because he has inclined his ear to me. Therefore, I shall call upon him as long as I live. Wow. Paul and Silas having been beaten, put into stocks in the very center of the jail. And now declaring the glory of God. They are praying. They are praising God. They're expressing adoration to him. They're having a worship service. Psalm 117 verses 1 through 2. He says, praise the Lord. All nations. All ethnic groups. All Gentiles. Laud him all peoples. For his loving kindness is great toward us. And the truth of the Lord is everlasting. Praise the Lord. (laughs) Isn't that great? Hey, the next time your car breaks down, turn to Psalm 113 through 118 and start praising God. The next time something happens where you didn't expect it and it's difficult for you, turn to these verses and start praising God. Watch what God does in your own heart and in the midst of your circumstance. Psalm 118, you can't make this up. This is about the Lord himself. Verses 22 through 23 says, The stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone. This is the Lord's doing. It is marvelous in our eyes. Wow. Here's a a perfect segue into who is God? It's Jesus Christ. Who is the Lord? Who is this God Almighty that you worship? It's the Lord Jesus Christ. What did he do? He went to the cross in order to give his life, to give his life freely, to shed his blood so that we might be cleansed of sin, that we might enter into a right relationship with God the Father, with God himself, not on the basis of our own works, but because of what Christ did for us at the cross. Prisoners are listening to this. There's so much more in these these psalms. I would encourage you to read them this week sometime. And think about what the Lord did for us at the cross. Think about this tremendous salvation that he accomplished on our behalf. And in the midst of it, Paul and Silas are worshiping. They can't stand up. They can't move. But in their hearts... They are bowed before the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords. And God is using their testimony and the sweet praise from these suffering servants in order to proclaim the gospel to the men that are condemned, some of them, to death in the midst of this jail. Are our lives a song to the people around us who don't know Christ, who are condemned to death by sin and have a hope maybe they don't know about they're not sure about they haven't recognized but that hope is in the Lord Jesus Christ are our lives a worship service to the Lord well there's a divine intervention and the Lord doesn't always do this we realize that right 
The Lord doesn't always do this. It's not like you wake up and say, well, <laughs> if I just read Psalm 113 through 118, um, Lord, where are you? <laughs> what, what happened? What are you going to do? That's not necessarily the way it works, right? Sometimes the Lord doesn't seem to do anything. Sometimes saints are killed. They're not necessarily rescued as we would think of being rescued. But in this particular instance, there's divine intervention. Verse 26, and suddenly there came a great earthquake so that the foundations of the prison house were shaken and immediately all the doors were opened and everyone's chains were unfastened. Have you ever been in an earthquake? Has anybody ever been in an earthquake? I was in an earthquake in Chattanooga, Tennessee. It was really weird. Holland was, I'm trying to think now, it was before Jonathan, so she was probably about three years old, something. Actually, no, Jonathan was just a little baby, still in diapers, bless his little heart. And um, Holland was about four and a half, five years old. And I remember waking up, and, um, you know, at that time of night, certain things happen, and you just kind of have to kind of go with it, right? Won't get into all the details. But I got back into bed, and all of a sudden, the bed started shaking. Now, you got to know my wife, okay? We'll just give you a little bit of a window here. My wife, uh, at nighttime, when she turns in bed, she doesn't do it gently. Where's Stephanie? I don't know where she went to sit. She's normally right here. She's probably glowing. (laughs) Okay, so sometimes, sometimes in the middle of the night, I'm awoken because all of a sudden, you know, it's like, We went from on our stomach to on our back in one motion. I don't know how that works. I don't know how to do that, but that's how she does it. It's like complete 180 turn. And sheets and covers are pulled and everything and everything moves. So when I got back into bed, suddenly the bed began to shake a little bit. And I thought, oh, Stephanie, I must have woken her up. And I kind of leaned over and she's still um, breathing regularly. And I realized, wait a minute. I think that was an earthquake. And the next moment, Holland, who's upstairs in her room, is screaming bloody murder. I mean, like the kind that gives you chills for the rest of your life when you think about it. So we go, now Stephanie is up, and we're racing up to go, hey, it's okay, Holland, it's okay. The house isn't coming down. Everything's good, you know. Earthquakes aren't fun. Earthquakes destroy things. We're fearful of earthquakes because everything moves. Everything shifts. The foundations begin to move around. Look, look what, what happens in a strong earthquake. This says it was a great earthquake. It means it wasn't just a mild tremor. It didn't just register a little bit on the seismic machine, you know? It was a pretty strong earthquake. Wouldn't you think that the houses would have come down? Wouldn't you think that the walls would collapse? I would. That's normally what happens, isn't it? But instead, what happens? The doors are flung open and the chains come off. Let me ask you something. Did the earthquake cause the doors to come open and the chains fall off? Because normally earthquakes are destructive. They don't free people. I think the earthquake was just a sign of God's presence. And that God, whether it was through a divine angel or himself, either way, he's the one responsible for it, removed those chains and opened up those doors. 
Folks, when God intervenes into things, it's amazing to watch how he will bring glory to himself. Paul and Silas are suffering. They're in the midst of this jail. And God intervenes. They're worshiping the Lord. They've just praised God for how he's sovereign over the nations, how he's able to save. He's sovereign over the idols that everybody else worships that really aren't truly God's because they can't hear, they can't see. They've praised God for how he's able to take the earth and turn it into water. And so God steps in and says, well, I'm going to show them a little bit of that. And he removes their chains and the doors are opened. This is no ordinary earthquake. I think that's pretty clear from the context. It was caused by God and orchestrated by the Lord. The prisoners again are listening to this singing of Paul and Silas about the greatness of God and his saving power. And the next thing they know that the earthquake hits, but it doesn't kill them. It frees them. They're released. But yet they stay. I think that's kind of profound. They don't run off. They could have. They stay. You know, I think the reason they stay is pretty simple. They were experiencing God. They were experiencing life. They were experiencing something they had never experienced before. There was a glimmer of hope about something greater than just the things of earth. There was a glimmer of hope about something in their future for some of them that was perhaps sooner than later, that they were going to be able to live forever with God. Verse 27, we have a desperate cry. When the jailer awoke and saw the prison doors opened, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself. Supposing that the prisoners had escaped, but Paul cried out with a loud voice saying, Do not harm yourself, for we are all here. Well, evidently the jailer wasn't listening to the Psalms. He was sleeping. The prisoners were. But the jailer wakes up. And he was near enough to the prison where he was able to see that the doors had opened. So he draws his sword and he's about to kill himself. Now it's interesting because we don't know how it is that Paul saw the jailer. In fact, in the next few verses, it very specifically says that the jailer rushes into the, into the prison itself, to the jail itself, and he calls for lights. So there, it was dark. How did Paul see the jailer? How did Paul know that the jailer was about to kill himself? We're not necessarily told that. Was it divine intervention? Was it a a divine moment where Paul just had specific insight into something? Was it that he heard the sword draw? Because evidently he was close enough where the jailer could see the doors. And so with the doors being open, we're not talking about our kind of jails that are thousands and thousands of square feet. We're talking about smaller areas. Maybe he heard the sword and he immediately knew what that meant. We don't know. Either way, what does Paul say to him? Do not harm yourself, for we are all here. Now, this is an interesting word because the idea of harming yourself means don't do something bad to yourself. 
Actually, the word was used of soldiers who were cowardly and would leave the front lines. They deserted. And Paul's saying to him, don't be a coward. Don't harm yourself. Don't do something to yourself and retreat from what God wants to do in your life. I believe that's the meaning of what Paul's saying to him. We're all here. Roman law is that if, if you lose a prisoner that is supposed to be killed, then you are going to forfeit your own life for that prisoner escaping. Don't do it. We're all standing right here. Understand that that jailer was literally a sword thrust away from an eternity separated from God, incapable of being saved at that point. Paul arrests him, gets his attention. Don't harm yourself. Don't retreat. Don't do something bad or cowardly to yourself. There's no need. We're all here. (laughs) So what does he do? Verse 29, he called for the lights and rushed in. And trembling with fear, he fell down before Paul and Silas. And after he brought them out, he said one of the most profound statements that any individual on the face of this earth could say. Sirs, what must I do to be saved? That word trembling is an interesting word. He wasn't just shaking because of of the earthquake. He wasn't just shaking because of the natural fear of what he was facing with regard to death because of the prisoners uh, escaping. He wasn't just shaking because of the emotion of the moment. If you track that word trembling down, it's used twice other than this particular area or this particular passage of Moses from the Old Testament trembling with fear because of the revelation of God to him. Moses had an experience with God and it was so overwhelming that it says he was trembling with fear. He says of himself, I am trembling with fear. This jailer knows that there's something more here than just a normal earthquake, just a regular set of circumstances. He is having a confrontation lovingly with God Almighty, and he's trembling with fear. And he asks, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? He had been told about the story. He knew in verse 17 that this slave girl was saying that these are servants of the Most High God and know the way of salvation or are proclaiming the way of salvation. Sirs, what must I do to be saved? You know what the word salvation means? You know what the word saved means? It means to be rescued from immediate danger. To be rescued from immediate danger. He's asking a question to Paul and Silas, and he's saying, how can I be rescued from immediate danger? 
Well, he had the immediate danger of sin. He had the immediate danger of almost killing himself and, and having an entire eternity separated from a loving God. And so he comes before them and he says, how can I be rescued from the danger that I'm in? Phenomenal. The classic response, perhaps the most concise explanation of salvation in Scripture, Paul says, believe on the Lord Jesus. Believe on the Lord Jesus. And you will be saved, you and your household, meaning all those who also believe. We're going to take time to look at that next week with Easter because it's, it's Resurrection Sunday. Believe on the Lord Jesus. Why should we believe in the Lord Jesus? Because he rose again from the dead. Because he declared himself to be God and he proved it and he rose again from the dead. He gave his life that we might have life. He shed his blood that we might be forgiven. What must I do to be saved? Believe on the Lord Jesus. How are we worshiping the Lord? How do our lives reflect that? When we go through difficult circumstances, when we go through situations that we haven't necessarily deserved, how are we praising God in the midst of that? How are we declaring the glory of God? Are we constantly praying to get out of it or are we praying that God would be glorified in and through it? What's the attitude of our lives? What's the, the, the reaction and the response to all the different circumstances within our lives? How are we praising the Lord? Is our lives really a worship service to God so that others who don't have hope, don't have God, begin to recognize there's something different about us? It's not just a religion, but there's a relationship here. And they can begin to glorify and praise God themselves. They have the opportunity of coming to know Christ themselves. We can respond to them when they are confronted by a holy God who loves them dearly. What must I do to be saved? And we can tell them the greatest news that this world has ever known. Believe on the Lord Jesus. Are we walking in that? Is that the truth about who we are? In everything, are we yielding our lives to Christ? Are we thanking him for what he's done for us? Thanks for listening to the Hoffmantown Church Podcast. We'd love to hear how God is working in your life. Everyone has a story. Please tell us yours. Visit www.hoffmantown.org and click on the Tell Us Your God Story link on the homepage to share yours with us. Thanks for listening to our podcast, and we hope you will join us next week.